You're listening to the SWAT Agronomy Podcast, the show for people who leverage the latest in technology to solve agronomic problems. If you're interested in on-farm application of precision ag technology, you've come to the right place. Get ready as we unpack the insights and experiences of the agronomic minds leading our industry forward. Today on the SWAT Agronomy Podcast. You think of our our grandfathers, they didn't farm with technology. I can just imagine how annoyed they'd be with us to see a tractor worth $500,000 sitting on the edge of the field as we're waiting for it to reboot the monitor so we can drive in a straight line or, or, you know, do these applications. Like I can just imagine like they must just like, what is wrong with you guys? Just go, you know? <laughs> so I always think about that and we think of efficiency and, and keeping moving and, you know, will this technology make my farm more efficient? Will it help? Or is it just going to cause me problems and delays? And it's got to be good tech. I'll call it that. Alberta farmer Landon Friesen joins the show to talk about his journey into precision agriculture, how he's using drones, what he's looking for in new technology, and much more. If this is the first time you've listened to the SWAT Agronomy podcast, welcome. My name is Tim Hamrich. I'm a communications consultant and ag tech geek and the host of this show. I've partnered with the SWAT Maps team on this podcast, and we hope that you'll join us as we explore where the latest in agronomy meets the latest in technology. Today, Landon Friesen talks about his farming operation, Southman Ag Ventures, in Crystal City, Manitoba. He farms canola, wheat, edible beans, sunflowers, and flax with his dad and brother. It took him a while, though, to realize that's ultimately where he wanted to end up. When I left high school, I had no intentions of coming back to the farm. I tried to join the military. I tried to join the police, but I was type 1 diabetic, and they do not allow police officers or someone in active duty with diabetes. So... Uh, and I'm going to Bible college of all things, <laughs> spent some time there, met my wife and uh, realized how much I missed the farm. So I came back and started working for my dad for a little bit and uh, just absolutely loved it. And yeah, he gave me responsibility and transition to farm management and leadership was natural for him and us. I mean, I give him a lot of credit for how he handled succession when I look at the next generation. I hope I can be that way with my kids. Landon's had an interest in technology for a long time, and this has been an area he's been able to contribute to the family business, from adopting precision agriculture, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, to where we'll start, which is in making drones pay for themselves. Just like our kids these days, it's it's so easy for them to work around technology. And I think once we started understanding it and, and we started farming together, it was it was just natural to start bringing it together on the farm, whether it was... Playing around with the first drones when they first came out. I mean, the first ones were horrendous. I remember that thing would fly off into the trees. Now you can't even crash them, right? But like they were just awful. You'd just trying to strap our GoPro underneath there and it would just shake like crazy or fall off. And, you know, like they've come so far. Like I don't think people understand how bad they were when they first came out. But so stuff like that. And yeah, I mean, growing up, our family was mostly a dairy and then a hay farm. We weren't doing a lot of cash cropping and stuff. So like GPS on our farm, we really didn't use much of it until I would say the early 2000s. So we were a little late to get on that boat. But And are you getting much use out of drones? I know like everybody's pretty excited for them when they came out and fly them around and, you know, get, you know, like you said, the, the GoPro shots. But uh, are you finding much use for, you know, kind of personal use drones on the farm today? 
So I get that question a lot and everyone's made fun of me for saying that I can make them pay for themselves and they haven't believed me until it's time to build a shop or a building in your yard. And you can use drone deploy. It does the grid pattern. It flies your yard automatically. And then I can do surveys with it. So for example, a few years ago, we we're going to put three phase power into our yard. Hydro needed to send a survey guy. It was going to cost, I think it was like 1500 bucks come to our yard and pretty much push the flags in the ground and map how much wire they needed and all that stuff. So I thought, what if I can give you an exact map? And he says, well, that would save me coming out. So I flew the yard, I did the grid, used the software, automatically measured the distance of the wire, where it's going to go, printed the map off and sent it to them. And they accepted it. You know, there's 1500 bucks that I saved. So my brother was building a house a few years ago, same thing, saved him a survey cost because we could just fly it with the drone and submit it, done. So that drone is more than paid for itself a few times now, just in yard upkeep or updates and stuff. So it's more of a toy, but there has been points where it's paid for itself. Oh yeah. I mean, just saving 1500 bucks on one project. It's just a survey. It's something so simple. Yeah. I mean, he's going to either measure it with a wheel or I'm going to measure it with a drone and it's going to be accurate. And he was great with it. He didn't have to come out, you know, an hour away. He was excited about that. And how much of that is because you're you're skilled with the drone versus just you had it? I mean, could most people kind of figure that out to the level that they would be able to use it? I think if guys took, you know, an hour of research on the internet and learning how to do that, it wasn't much. Everything is so easy on a big iPad these days. Now, you know, you draw where you want it to go and it would just automatically fly the route. Like it was so simple. I remember uh, back in, I think it was a 2014, met Chad Colby in North Dakota he did a presentation on drones and where they're going to go. And, you know, they were joking that someday they'll identify weeds. Well, now we're to that point and on, you know, we're past that already. That technology is just ramped up like crazy. Now, before the drones, did you see yourself as sort of a, a tech person? I think my family would say so. Yeah, you could say that. Um, I didn't mind it. I enjoyed piecing together old desktop computers and making something work. I mean, back in college, that's what we did because that's it wasn't a lot to do in the little town we were at. But now I'm very much like I don't want to waste time with it anymore. Technology is starting to almost become a not a hindrance, but I need it to work smoothly or it's not worth it. You know, I don't want to waste my time on technology now that I have kids and you know we're trying to run a business. It's not it's not playtime anymore. Now it's time to to make technology work for me, right? So it's got to work and it's got to be simple. Before I didn't mind messing around with it because if it didn't work, it wasn't costing me anything. I wasn't out hours in a tractor cab. I mean, I was sitting in my college dorm, right? So there's a difference, I think. And did that big change come with more responsibility on the farm or with kids wanting to kind of have um, that time with them? Probably both. I mean, when you're trying to get technology working and you're sitting on the side of a field and you've got 20 minutes to finish your field, whatever rate controller is not working and you can't get your seed out of your drill or your spray out of your sprayer, I think that's frustrating too, right? Because you want to be home for supper maybe or, or see your kids, you know, for an hour or two before they go to bed when they're young. And now you're stuck fiddling with something that you were hoping would work. Here it's not. So you think of our, our grandfathers, they didn't farm with technology. I can just imagine how annoyed they'd be with us to see a tractor worth $500,000 sitting on the edge of the field as we're waiting for it to reboot the monitor so we can drive in a straight line or, or you know, do these applications. Like, I can just imagine, like, they must just, like, what is wrong with you guys? Just go, you know? <laughs> so I always think about that, and we think of efficiency and, and keeping moving, and, you know, will this technology make my farm more efficient? Will it help, or is it just going to cause me problems? And 
delays and it's got to be good tech. I'll call it that. And most of the negative experiences you had in the past, are they dealing with that as far as like just holding you up from getting done what needs to get done? Yeah, I think some of the tech that we've used, if it takes a whole bunch more time, if it's wasting more of your time and you don't see the value in it for the amount of time you spend working on it, because with any technology, if you want to get something out of it, you have to put time into it, right? Just like uh, record keeping on the farm. Well, the digital versions first came out, but they were only as good as you were willing to put in all the details. Now they track our tractors, they know our speeds, they know the weather, they know what we're applying just from a drop down menu. Back in the day, we had to enter all those parameters manually. So, I mean, you think of record keeping and field notes have come a long way. And separate, but certainly related in data, you know, when did you start to look at your operation as a way to sort of leverage data to get better? Or has that always been sort of part of the thinking? The tools have just changed. I think that's always been part of the thinking, right? How can we use our history on our farm to make better decisions going forward? But when there's tools available that lay it out nicely for you or do all the math for you instead of an Excel spreadsheet, then it's time to get excited about that. Take me back to when you kind of first started getting into variable rate technology and sort of how all that happened for you. Well, I'll go back to 2000, say 13-ish, those areas. Our land is typically pretty flat, but we farm along a valley and we kind of farm on both sides of the valley. And when we're farming back then, everything was just flat rate. You know, it was always the same all day long. There is lighter soil, but there's some heavy clay as well. And, uh, you know, you'd go over a, a big hilltop or I should say big. Like um, it's big for our area, maybe. And so when we go over hilltop and you can see that the soil is light, it's gray, it's not sand, it's not gravel, but it's not nice black soil. So then you know that you're putting the same fertilizer rate as the draw that it just came out of that's got beautiful black soil. It, you know it's higher in organic matter and you come across this hilltop and you're squirting on the same amount of nitrogen. Things didn't add up, I guess, or like, what, what are we doing here? You know, there's got to be a way we can save some fertilizer or just put it where it counts. We started looking into uh, variable rate technology then. The equipment that we all had was already set up for it. So it was a pretty easy transition into it. And so, uh, yeah, we started going with a, a local company that was doing variable rate. And yeah, we've been doing variable rate ever since. Okay. And with variable rate then, you said you had the equipment. And so walk me through the thought process of what are we missing here to get started on this? Yeah, the biggest thing we were missing was just the, the expertise and the know-how. I mean, our drill that we were running at the time was a uh, John Deere air cart, and it was uh, set up to automatically change the rates from the cab. And so it had the controller on there. We had a liquid caddy we pulled behind there as well, and it was a John Deere rate controller, the same as our sprayer. So you know that the rates can change. And so we started looking into it, and sure enough, if we would input a variable rate map or a prescription map into our screen, it, everything will work, typically. The, Everything will work. <laughs> I say that because, you know, there's always the first year where you're fighting with it a bit and learning new things and understanding it. But And then we needed a service provider. We weren't experienced ourselves, obviously, and where to start. And so there was companies out there pushing variable rate that uh, we signed up with. I think the first one was, uh, I think, a three-year contract is what they wanted. And so they were using satellites to determine your zones, I guess. And I think they're using vegetative growth, but they're using a few years of satellite data to create an accurate picture, what they thought was accurate of our zones and what they should be. You know, at the time it was exciting. It was it was something new and we were all for it. 
and didn't know anything different. And so we used that service for a few years. It was okay. We had some struggles and there was a learning curve, right, with the new technology and figuring everything out. Yeah. And then in 2000, I think in 16, I heard Corey talk, Corey Wilness, this guy who was uh, pretty confident in his methods, kind of wrote him off at first. And then he said something at the show that had me thinking all the time. And and so we reached out to Corey and we, we wanted to ask him some questions and, and he was coming through. I don't know if he was coming through. Maybe he made his trip out just for us, but he said he was in the area. So, I mean, he lives in Saskatchewan, so I know he's not close by. Uh, just passing through. Yeah, passing through. <laughs> Who comes to Manitoba, right? Um, so yeah, he came out, I think that was in 2016 and he explained his process, what he's doing with the water and, and the topography and the soil and yeah, how he wanted to be more boots on the ground and understanding what's below the surface of your soil in order to create your zones. And it just clicked with us. It made a lot of sense. So we tried a half section that year and with tremendous success. And that was kind of just the start of working with SWAT maps. And do you remember, what did he say that had you thinking about that, you know, that you just kind of remembered? Oh man, that's a good question. That was a lot of years ago already. I don't remember exactly, but it was, uh, I think he might've knocked satellite maps a little bit. And it just got me thinking a bit, you know, like, oh, there's maybe other methods. There's other ways to do this. Then, you know, there's the saying, there's many ways to skin a cat. I've never skinned a cat. I don't know. I don't want to, but <laughs> that's the saying, Good right? clarification. Yeah. <laughs> Disclaimer. <laughs> but you don't want to be stuck in one way, right? Try to keep an open mind, especially with technology. I don't care if it's equipment color. You got to keep an open mind and you got to see what's out there. You can't just stick with what you know and keep your head in the sand. I think... When, when you're not willing to change, I think we're going to run into problem, especially as, as farming goes on here. We're going to have to adapt and change. And so, yeah, it was just very interesting. It was very intriguing to me, his concept and his methods of creating these maps. Yeah, so we, we tried a half. That year we seeded wheat. So first year with that half section was uh, 2017. And they came out, they ran their truck across the field with that little sled at the time. They didn't have anything mounted on a bumper. It was dragging behind on like a toboggan behind this pickup truck, their soil sensor. I had neighbors calling me, there's a guy turning around in your field with a toboggan behind his letter. You know, do you know what's going on? And like <laughs> everyone's re reporting this guy and calling me. And it was pretty funny because when you look out in your field and there's a truck zigzagging back and forth out of no apparent method or, you know, it's just random. People got pretty curious what was going on. But so yeah, we sowed our wheat that year and uh, he had pitched the idea of variable rate seeding wheat. Fertilizer was good because we understood exactly now this soil type on top of the hills won't have potential unless it's going to rain or unless we get moisture there. And just the 10 different zones and how they, they walk through and so much with salinity, it, it made so much sense to us and it was so exciting. So we started trying this variable rate seeding that Corey was talking about with wheat. First, we didn't like, well, it's just wheat, right? You just throw it in the ground, it grows. And uh, they started explaining some of the benefits to us as far as fungicide timing and stuff of like that. And we said, well, I doubt that it'd be that good, right? But let's try it. And so our first year we, we variable rate seeded, it was getting close to fungicide timing and on the head for Viserium. And wouldn't you know it, the field was fairly rolling with a few draws and drains. And there's a lot of salinity in one corner of the field. That field from corner to corner was heading out at the same time. And when we went out there to spray our $20 pass at the time of uh, Fusarium spray, it was on at the right time. It was great. Like to be able to get return on investment on your product and get good coverage throughout the whole field. You know, normally it's heading out at different stages. So you're spraying a product on a crop that's not ready or it's too late. You know, it's just not a good use of your, your money. 
But it, it's just hard to show a value on variable rate. That's the tricky part about it until you see it for yourself. And when we variable rate seeded the wheat, then all of a sudden we could see it. And so if that's what we see, then what else is happening below the soil that we can't see, right? With a fertilizer, for example, you know, our, our yields are still the same and maybe averaging a bit better. Obviously, they increase every year as genetics go on and methods. I can't say from 2012, 2013, our yields would have been better, but we're spending less on putting the crop in. And that's where I think the benefit was. When you and I talked before, you talked about kind of drainage and how sort of getting this understanding of the way water is moving through your soil has kind of helped in terms of drainage goes. So can you talk about that more? Yeah. So the at the time, the sled they used to drag around our fields to map for swap maps, they would follow the drains and the draws and it created a 3D RTK map, I guess, elevation map. And it's showing where all your water is accumulating, which way it should be flowing, you, you know, across your whole half section. And it created a beautiful map of exactly what the water should be doing. And at the time we had a scraper, we didn't have any software for the scraper or anything like that. And so I, I said to, I think the technology guys that was working at the time, I said, can I get that map put into my John Deere GPS? So when I take my scraper out there, it shows me where to go. Like, can you make those into guidance lines? And sure enough, he said, oh yeah, we can do that. So I get this file in my email, throw it on the computer. Sure enough, on my John Deere monitor is all the guidance lines of the water drains across the field. And so I could go into those lines, hit my auto steer button, and it would follow exactly where the water should be going. That was just up to me to put the blade up and down and, and get the elevation right. So then we started investing in technology on our scraper with software. I know where I need to go. Now it's just in order to get this field to drain across, let's get that part accurate. So that's why we put a, a GPS bubble on our blade, obviously, and we could start yeah, start ditching and managing the water that way. So we have a half uh, with some neighbors that both of us were losing acres or we tried to farm it, you know, one in five years, you'd get a crop through it because it was dry or whatever. And, and so I said to him, I said, can I get this truck to roll across your land? He wasn't interested in variable rate, but I said, I'll explain to him what he can do. And I showed him my map and I said, if we would do your field and my field together, you know, we can work drainage together. I'll take some of your water, you take some of mine, and we'll be able to farm right through these potholes. And I mean, when I say potholes, they're not full of ducks and geese and, and cattails. This is like weeds because you farm it, you know, every other year or whatever. So it's it just needed a bit of drainage and a bit of attention, right? And how do we do that with neighbors? And the neighbor was willing to work with us. He's a really nice guy. And so what we're able to do is to this day now we farm that half section the full half section right up to his and he farms right up to us and he's farming an extra 10 acres 15 acres on that half and so are we so that's pretty cool well i, I want to go back to you know this kind of point about like you know your time being something that that is extremely valuable and you've got a lot to do and you obviously want to you know keep commitments to family and, and things like that what that you're doing now do you feel like in a decade or in the coming years, you're hoping that you can spend a lot less time having to do because of whatever, technology, service, et cetera. Hmm. Well, I think, I'm not saying we've peaked because I think we're a long ways off from peaking as farmers, but uh, some things I hope that would become a little easier down the road or that technology will help us with. I would love to pull into a field someday and my GPS monitor will automatically know the perimeter of the field from obviously a preloaded you know, file, but then it knows exactly which way we should be working this field to be as efficient as possible. How can we work this field so we turn around the least? That to me, that auto nesting capability, the same thing they have on 
you know, a laser at a manufacturing shop or a steel laser, you put in a part diagram into what you want cut out of that sheet. It automatically figures out how many parts can I get out of a sheet, right? It's figuring out how to do it all to be as efficient with as little waste as possible. And I would love for for agriculture makers or the monitors that they, they're building these days to have that same technology. So when you pull in the field, you know the perimeter, how am I going to work this to be as efficient as possible? So I turn around the least, things like that would get me excited. Awesome. Well, what else did we get to, you know, audience of uh, probably quite a few agronomists and just people interested in kind of like, you know, what's working in both tech and agronomy, you know, what else that you've got going on? Should we mention, or maybe go back to emphasize uh, open floor for you? You got, I've got about five minutes left of the time I was hoping to get from you. One thing I would push would be tissue testing. We can think we have fertilizer figured out in our fields until we tissue test and we find out that we're short somewhere or we're not. I think there's a lot of farmers that get pushed on micronutrients and some of those products, these products that you can add foliar in season. Let's be honest, we're not getting good value out of that. And I don't think we really want to hear that. We want to know how we can fix the problem in our soil before we get already in a crop. So if if it needs boron, let's fix it in spring when it's much cheaper to fix than in crop. Obviously, if you do a tissue sample and you're, you're short boron every year in the same field, then we've got an issue that we can fix or maybe it's zinc, right? We can fix those issues starting in spring or fall. We don't have to spend a lot of money on doing it in season. In season is just a rescue app. It's not going to fix the problem. So I think that's the one thing that I would love to see. I know my agronomist is really good that way. Trevor is uh, our local lead with CropPro and he's come down to tissue sampling for me. And I've seen a lot of value out of that knowing Okay, does my wheat need more nitrogen? Will I have enough protein when I harvest it in fall? Looks like a big crop. Will there be enough protein to as a tissue sample? Uh, there's not a lot there. Or, you know, you should maybe add some more. And sure enough, you add some more and it comes out to be high yield, high protein. It's exciting when things like that pay off. So it sounds like you're using it both for in season, what you can do, but also for over time, how you can kind of fix a problem long term. Is that right? Yeah, like I, I'm not saying that we should tissue sample every crop on your whole farm, but if you just do a little bit every year, different crops, know what's going on, you know, what's tying it up, what's not getting to where it needs to go. And so I think it's it's easy to, to look at the big picture and think, oh, I just add a little more fertilizer in spring. But what if there's something small that you could do in spring or fall? The most expensive way to fix the problem is in crop, not spring and fall. It's much cheaper to do it then. Right. Yeah. It forces you into a reactive position. Yeah. Makes sense. Huh. Well, where do you go to push yourself to, you know, be a better farmer in general? Oh, man. Um, I spend probably too much time on Twitter. I like to think I follow a good group of guys and I'll consider them all way smarter than me. And just observe how, how these managers are talking about what they do with the crops. How are they managing their farm? What are they seeing in the trends? Um, just following the right people. I mean, I don't follow sports on Twitter. I don't follow celebrities. I follow farmers and you can learn pretty quick about what's working what's not. Guys aren't afraid to share their opinions on that platform, good or bad. Some of it's a lot of noise that you can just mute or take out, but there's a lot to glean from it. And I think it's a good resource for farmers. I agree. And I think we all spend probably too much time on Twitter, but it, but there is value there too. <laughs> there is value. I always said if, if Twitter wasn't free, I'd be willing to pay a monthly fee for it because I think I get a lot off of it. 
Well, make sure to follow Landon Friesen on Twitter if you're not already. He's at Landon707. Also, while you're there, make sure you give him a shout out and thank him for being part of the show. Thank you, Landon, for sharing your perspective on the SWAT Agronomy Podcast. We're just getting started here with the show, so make sure you're subscribed on your podcast platform of choice. I think you'll find us on all of them by now, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, etc. If you have any recommendations for guests or topics or questions, please tweet them to us by using the hashtag SWAT Agronomy.